Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Amen. Thank you, Holly, or Claire and Holly and everybody that was involved this morning. It's beautiful, isn't it, just to worship God? I've got a a hug warning for you. I'm coming off the back of a chest infection, so best not to hug me. I'm COVID-free, I promise. I did test, but um, chest infections are my little thing. I'm not claiming that or owning that. I'm healed in Jesus' name, so um, there we go. <clears throat> um, We're on the series of Generation Next. I said in my email, if you wanted to read... Um, Joshua 5, that's where we're into, and we're, sorry, yes, the tithes and offerings, I should have said that, but the guys are working away there, and uh, while, I, while I paint the picture. And so what I wanted to do this morning, I want to talk to you about this subject, I want to talk to you about the pain of circumcision versus the joy of holiness. It's not the nicest subject in the world. But obviously there's something very spiritual about it. And it's basically a, a modern way of saying this. Don't neglect your spiritual life due to the busyness of your life in the flesh. That's basically what we're saying. And um, busyness crowds around us, doesn't it? So I'm going to read the first two verses of Joshua 5. And then I'll refer to the rest of the chapter. But the first two verses... Um, I'll put it on the screen as well. And it's coming in on the NIV. Um, It says, uh, So it was when all the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until they had crossed over that their hearts melted. The people of God had such a testimony. The people of God had such a fear and reverence among the nations. It says their heart melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. The fame of God's people had went into this land before them. The fame and the the victory, um, nothing could come against them. And it says at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Now, life is filled with battles. You don't need me to preach that to you today. Life is filled with battles. There are moral battles at the minute flying around, like abortion. And now they're talking about when life ends. You know, should marriage be extended to same-sex couples? On and on we could go. Loads of moral battles. There's military battles. We've got a war in Ukraine. We've got one in Yemen. We've got one in Syria. We've got one in Ethiopia. On and on I could go. And there's legal battles. Everybody fighting for their rights. Our courts are full, queuing to get into them every day. And there's physical battles. Some people here are struggling with health issues, physical things that attack us day by day. And there's theological battles. Like, is Jesus the only way to salvation? Is the Bible reliable? Is God sovereign? Um, Is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? And then there's interpersonal battles, families, wranglings, disagreements in the home, 
disagreements in the workplace, disagreements in places of recreation, schools and everywhere. And the truth is many of you today are weary and battle fatigued. And some of you feel like life is simply just like one big battle after another. And it feels like um, the beginning of a work week is something that you're dreading. You're thinking, I'm here tomorrow, I'm here today, I want to get filled up, but tomorrow I'm dreading, especially if uh, it's a busy week schedule. So this morning in reading Joshua 5, uh, on first reading, it can sound just like a historical text that doesn't have much relevance to us today, but it is a story of the preparation of God's people as they advance towards Jericho and into this promised land that God has promised them for centuries. And for 40 years they've wandered waiting for this moment. The descendants of Israel, formerly called Jacob, had miraculously crossed the Jordan River. We looked at that last few weeks. And they were confident, they were excited, they were ready for the fulfillment of 40 years of dreams and excitement. And it was this moment God got all the men to get circumcised. God definitely has a sense of humor, hasn't he? And... Um, And then on the back of that, they celebrated Passover, which we're going to look at maybe next week. And it's definitely not irrelevant. I think we're going to find today that it's very relevant for us. And here we see some important clues, I think, in how we can face the battles of life, because we all face them. And at the heart of it, every fight is spiritual. You need to know that. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. He says our struggle in Ephesians 6 is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. No matter what kind of battle you face, no matter what mountain stands before you, at the heart of it, Christian friend, it's a spiritual battle. You need to know that. There's a spiritual connotation to it. And and in each situation, I think, in each situation, the foremost challenge is to draw upon and rest in God's strength to proceed with God's wisdom and to pursue God's glory. I think those are the big keys for us. And because of this fact, we, before we enter into every battle, our first challenge is to make sure our hearts are right before God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's why God told Joshua to stop in advance. You would think surely after 40 years they were ready. You would think surely after they came across the swelling Jordan River, they were ready to go in for attack. But God had to put a stop on them. God, there needed to be a preparation of heart. And on the surface of this, it looks like a pretty foolish move because we read how the people of God were, these are the, the enemies of Canaan were trembling before these people. You would think this is the time to advance. Their hearts are melting with fear. This is the time, God, to run gun-ho and get them. But God says, no, halt. There's a work to be done in the heart. And um, I feel at this moment in time, we're living, I'll talk a a little bit about this at the end, and then next week we're going to do this as a one-two. I feel that we are living in a paradigm shift. I feel that there is something happening in the world, and I feel in the spirit realm Um, listening to what leaders are saying right across the world that we are definitely living in strategic days. By all earthly wisdom, 
This was the time to strike. This was the time to move. They needed to seize the momentum and move forward, but um, God had a different plan. And God told Joshua to camp in a place called Gilgal and do something that we, were, we would think odd. And he told him to circumcise the male children. They were all uncircumcised, it says, because they'd not been circumcised on the way. Now, that's a big question. Because from Abraham, male children were to be circumcised on the eighth day. So they hadn't done it. They had been disobedient for 40 years. And they hadn't been um, circumcising their sons. And circumcision was more than just a physical thing. It was a cutting away of the flesh, as you know. But it, it, it symbolized a more important thing. It symbolized that these were God's people. It symbolized a circumcision of the heart. It symbolized that they were set apart. It symbolized what New Testament baptism does for believers today. It's an outward sign of an inward stature of the heart. And so for them not to be circumcising their sons was to be completely disobedient to God. And they weren't recognizing themselves as the people of God. And this was rebellion. And some say, uh, some of the theologians that I looked up and they say that, that because they were a traveling people, it was impractical for them to circumcise their sons. The argument against that is they were to circumcise their sons at eight days old. So it hardly would hamper their travel. So um, it was just a further sign of rebellion in the heart of people. In short, we don't know um, why there were so many uncircumcised, but, um, and why did God choose this time to circumcise the men? Why not do this before they crossed the river? It was kind of a ridiculous thing to do, and basically what he was doing, he was putting all the fighting men out of commission. And God was showing that he was in control. In other words, to obey God would leave the people vulnerable to attack of the inhabitants. And so my learning in this, sitting at the fire yesterday, I didn't move much from it with Bible in hand. And my learning from it yesterday was this. Joshua and the people had to learn that obedience to the Lord is more important in the battles of life than our physical strength, than our strategic planning, than our military superiority, and our keen intelligence. And we live in a day and age in which, um, we live in a day and age when, uh, like if you go back to when I was a boy, People knocked the door, and they were selling um, Encyclopedia Britannica. And I remember buying these when our kids were small. Now, if I stacked them here on the stage, they would be that height. They'd be that height. And you had to go looking through those for any knowledge that you'd get. Now we've got it on Google, on our phones, Leonard, on a phone, where we can, at the touch of a button, we can ask any question. We don't even need to hit the button. We can say, hi, Siri. Boom. We have all the questions answered. And so we live in a very different day. And we live in a day in which people are, I think, very, very intelligent. And the internet provides all of that stuff, all of that intelligence. God's strength, listen to me, was necessary to fight such formidable foes. And we need to trust him for the battles of life and the evidence of trust is obedience. The evidence of trust is obedience, all right? A military soldier is taught to obey orders and to do that without question. Uh, those facing the battles of life must learn to do the same. I learned this little principle even when it comes to the demonic. 
Um, you'll never read about principalities and powers separate. You always read about them together, principalities and powers. The word principality is the Greek word archai, where we get our word architect from. They are the architects of evil. And so what they do is they architect the plan and they just give the order and the powers are literally bull demons that just go do. They don't care what they do. They don't care who you are or what you are. They don't care the facts in any shape or form. They just follow the order of their principalities, even in the demonic. And so it's really important to understand Joshua and the people obeyed God. The circumcisions were performed. Time was taken to heal. And then I love this. God speaks to Joshua and he says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Forty years you've carried that old character around in your back. Forty years you've lived under the old nature. Forty years that you haven't obeyed my command. And today, this day, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. They've been out of it for 40 years. Getting them out of Egypt was one thing. Getting Egypt out of them was another thing. And here at this moment, in a moment of circumcision, in a moment of cutting away of something that was old, God dealt with them and he dealt with their reproach. The time of slavery and bondage and wandering was now over. Israel was home and they were fully God's people again. You see, they didn't get out of Egypt just when they came across the Red Sea. Basically, they'd lived in Egypt for 40 years. Egypt had lived in their hearts for 40 years. And they'd lived just as a wandering generality with no kingdom purpose and no view in the kingdom of God while a generation just petered out. Sad, isn't it? And yet, I look at the church today and I have to say, I see some of this around I see not much difference to what I see in the world. And um, so what they did was they, they actually, after they healed up a little bit, they celebrated Passover. And it tells us this in verse 10, the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month. Text doesn't tell us that the Lord actually commanded them to do Passover. It must just have been that time. And um, just like our Christmas time or Easter time, it just was the time to celebrate Passover. And either way, it was a good time to stop and to remember where they'd been and to remind themselves how they'd arrived at this point. And um, the Passover celebration, I think, was ideal to allow them to do just that. They were reminded of God's wonderful sufficiency. But before Israel went a step further into the promised land, they made sure that their hearts were right before the Lord and it's significant that we read this actually on down the chapter in verses 11 and 12. It says, the day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna from the Israelites for the Israelites, but that year they ate of the produce of Canaan. God had sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness and now they were home. And the land would provide for them. They had reached the land God had promised them centuries before. And what we learn from these acts, there's a, so many lessons in this. But I think I could boil it into a threefold idea. We are not prepared to do battle with giants of life until we first become right with God. Alan Redpath, in his book, Hand Me Another Brick, says... 
Maybe it's time for us to get right with God or get out of his house. Pretty solemn word, isn't it? Maybe it's time to get right with God or get out of his house and allow him to do what he needs to do. If we're going to fight the giants of life, we need to become right with God. Before we're ready to do battle, we must first look at our lives and see the things that we've neglected in our lives. All of us, self-included. And before any battle, we're wise to do a personal inventory. That's why as we do communion today, it says let a man or a woman examine themselves and then come and eat and drink. But what I want to do, um, just for a short time, and then we're going to worship again. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about this place called Gilgal. It was an interesting place. And um, in Joshua 4, it says, The people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and then camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. If you're a studier of Joshua, you will know this name comes up a lot. Gilgal became their base. It became their base camp. And it became the place where they would go in and out from. A bit like Emmanuel for me and for you. It's home. It's a great place to have stories. It's a great place to have vision and interpretation of vision and inspiration and do life together. That's what families do. And Gilgal was a bit like that. Gilgal was a place of stories, a place of surrender. It was a place of strategy and it was a place of sending. They would... They would push out from there and then they would come back and they would celebrate their victories at this place called Gilgal. And so what I thought I would do, I thought I would give you six things really quickly, six things that I think were very significant to Gilgal that we can learn from, all right? Okay, so here goes, just simply six things. First one, they believed in people, they believed in family, and they believed in investing in the next generation. It says when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry ground. Teaching family is the cornerstone of society. In a world of family meltdown, we need to declare family. I love what Sarah does here, following on from Heather. I love what Robbie and Ryan Tara and the team and all do here amongst our youth. I love that because there's something about teaching. It's, it's amazing how quickly a generation can lose it. I say this all the time. If you don't go to church, your kids mightn't go to church, but your grandkids definitely won't go to church. And it can be lost in a generation. In Judges 2, I didn't intend to read this, but it's one of my sad scriptures. I have some sad ones. And... Um, Joshua, Judges 2 is one of my sad ones. And it talks in Judges 2, if I can find it. It says that um, after Joshua dismissed the Israelites and went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and all the elders who had lived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance in Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim. After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Imagine that. After 
Joshua's generation died, there grew up another generation who never knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. What a responsibility we have, mums and dads. What a responsibility we have, grannies and granddads. What a responsibility we have, youth leaders, to pass it down, kids workers, to pass it down, to pass it down, to pass it down. Gilgal was a special place for Israelites. It was a family place. It was a place of storytelling. It was a place of campfires and barbecues, a place where kids were intermingling and running around and weren't getting hushed and shoved to the back. They were, it was a place of rest and restoration. It was a place of identity and regrouping. It was a place of discussion and prayer. I could preach the rest of the morning in this one, but I better not. All right, they believed in the promise of God for a new land. They believed there was more. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Now that verse excites me because I want to go somewhere where I've never been before. I won't, don't want to do the same old, same old. I don't want to do the same laps around the bottom of the mountains. I want to go somewhere where we've never been before. I want to go with Caleb up into the mountain areas and kill some giants. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? There was a land of promise that waited 40 years for this. Joshua and Caleb are now 80. They believed that they would see this day. Just like some of us in this room believed that we would see this day that we would proclaim the kingdom rather than just build a church. And actually by proclaiming a kingdom and not just building a church, we would actually equip a generation to give humanity a way home. That's what the red cord was there. I don't know where it went. But there we go. And there's something about that. It's incredible just to allow Jesus said to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will prevail against it. That's Matthew 16. 18. Then thirdly, really quickly, they believed in the need to restore a hunger for the word of God. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in a day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. There's something about the word of God. Um, I've loved the word of God from when I was a boy. I shared a room, there were seven in our family and so four of us slept in the one room. And there was no such thing as bedside lamps so it was either light on or light off and it was usually light off. And I used to sit and study my Bible in the landing with a torch <coughs> when I was a boy. So I fell in love with it when I was a kid. And, um, but I tell you something, there's power in the word of God. Paul, when he writes to young Timothy, this is what he says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. God's word in our lives is the only thing that cannot be chained or imprisoned. That is incredible. And our young people need to know, and our older people need to know that regardless of what's going on in your life, there's a place to turn to in the word of God and it's the truth and it can never be stopped. And I say all the time when my mind and this gets into an argument, I'm going with this. When the world and this gets into an argument, I'll go with this. When politics and this gets into an argument, I'm going with this. When the rights about abortion um, come before us as they do, let's go with this. Let's do what this says. 
not what society says. That's, the church doesn't do what society says. We're good law-abiding people, but we do what the word of God says. We follow the word of God. Let's not water down. I always say, if you follow my devotions, I say, wrestle with it. Allow it to wrestle with you. Just never change it. Fight it. Let it fight you. Argue it with God. Tell him you don't like it. Tell him you're disappointed. Tell him you think he should have done it another way. Beat on his chest. He can take it all. Just never change it. Never water it down. I could do a whole sermon on that one too. So I better stop. All right. Number four. All right. They believed their culture was stronger than the culture of the world. And this is really important. Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will not fail. Behold, the ark of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. And when that ark at the Jordan, the Jordan stacked up from a place called Adam, which was 18 miles up the stream. Pretty incredible, isn't it? <coughs> 18 miles up the stream. We need to let our coming generations know that the church is strong, not weak. She's not a weak, shabby bride. Who would want to marry a weak, shabby bride with a dirty dress? Who would want that? Brides on their days, they turn that corner. I'm usually the first one to see them. And uh, when they turn that corner, there's, there's, there's tears all over the auditorium. <coughs> I've seen many a man cry at the front. I've reached, I usually keep tissues at the ready for some people, <clears throat> some guys who think they're not going to cry, and they cry because there's something about the bride and the world and the young need to know that the bride is strong. The church isn't dull or irrelevant or boring. It doesn't matter whether there's one or a thousand. God says, go, it's our culture, and our culture is stronger than the culture of the world. Number five, they believed in teaching people how to handle challenges and not run away from them. The Lord said to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, you and the men of war, you shall go around the city once this you will do six days. Jericho awaited them. They would have to fight for their land now. What they got for nothing, now they would have to fight for. They would come against stronghold after stronghold, but they believed that God was with them. Let's face the challenges, folks, whatever they may be. Let's face them young and old. We'll face them together, and we'll fight this old devil, and we'll beat him. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. We have the victory. Amen? Amen. And then lastly, they believed in prayer. They believed in prayer. It says that Moses, this is Exodus 33, Moses went into the tent. The pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Any wonder this young man was chosen to take the next generation into the land? He would linger in the presence of God. Even when the man of God left, he would stay and he would linger in the presence. You know, three times over in the New Testament, Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19, 
Jesus calls his house a house of prayer for all nations. It's actually the only thing he ever called his house. He never called it a house of compassion. He never called it a house of mercy. He never called it a house of preaching. He never even called it a house of the word. But three times over he said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. The shift is that we no, want, we no longer want to build a church to touch the world, but we actually touch the world and therefore advance and build a church and build his kingdom. It's a bit of an oxymoron, but it's true. And as we go out into the communities, as we touch them, we've got a basket of people here. And last weekend was wonderful. In around 30 people came to faith last weekend. And um, that's wonderful. But I counted the cards. I counted the names on, on that basket. And there's about 250 names in that basket. So that means you could take 30 out. I'm not dead sure who. They have all been followed up, by the way. But there's another 220 names in there. We've still a bit of work to do. And we're not hanging everything in one weekend. Jonathan was great. And his team was amazing. But we don't hang it all in one weekend. We brought Jonathan in because our dream was, as elders, that it would catalyze us into reaching the lost, into thinking more about the lost. And hence, the basket's here. And we'll keep it here. And we'll keep praying in our prayer meetings. And we'll keep setting aside. And we'll keep doing outreaches. And we'll see our families brought home. Because that's what we do. And we pray. It's not about doing church. It's about being the church. And nothing is going to stop us, folks. Nothing is going to stop us reaching this next generation. There's a new revelation that I think is dawning in people's souls at the minute. That's my sense. And I think that our, our church across the world has taken a paradigm shift. And a paradigm shift uh, is just a change of one way of thinking to another. And um, it's a revolution. It's a transformation. It's a sort of metamorphosis, if you want. It doesn't just happen, but it's driven by agents of change. And I'm looking this morning at some agents of change. And um, some of the younger generation here, uh, Robbie and Tara, you don't need to wait till you're 40. You could lead a church. You could lead the next generation, Phil and Amy. Well, you are 40. But, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's just, it's all there, folks. Harold and Sylvie. I know we're a bit older, but hey, there's no retirements in the kingdom of God. We've got something to do. Steph, we've got something to do. We have a world to change. We have a people to reach. We have a, a kingdom to proclaim. And as we proclaim this kingdom, it's not that... It's, it's, I know there are layers and layers of truth around this, but I, I think it's a new error. And I think this paradigm shift is entering into a highway and byway mentality into a new generation that reaches people that were unreached. Where we are going is not where we've ever been. And this is a new day. This is a new time. And we are a new people. And so circumcision is hard. I go back to the original question, circumcision versus holiness. There's something about the joy of holiness that happens in our hearts that we begin to realize that nothing, there's no high like the most high. There's nobody like God. And there's nobody like God when it's pumping in our veins. There is nothing that compares. 
And whatever stands between you and him is an idol. Whatever gets more time. Now I know we're busy and I know our kids need our time and our families need our time and all of that and our spouses need our time. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I'm talking about just, just stuff that crowds out our day. Whenever we used to go on holidays, we always loved the diving rings. Actually, Warwick lent me a, 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 a little box of diving rods. We now have diving rings. And um, when Daniel was a little bit smaller, um, uh, we would fire the rings into the pool. And of course, the idea is you have to dive down to get them. And we had four colors. We had green and yellow and blue and red. And of course, the idea was you'd fire them. You weren't allowed to look. And you would you turn your back. And then he would turn his back. And I would fire the rings. And then he would dive in, goggles on, to find these rings. One of them had slipped away down into the deep end and he just couldn't get it. And I said, I'll get it. And he says, no, Dad, I want to get it. And I said, okay, but I need to help you. And so, is this online? It is. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I, we went to the deep end and I said, you take a really deep breath, son. You take a deep breath. And he goes and he fills his lungs. And he jumped up and I pushed him as hard as I could. Boom, down. And down he went to the bottom like a stone. And he come up with the blue ring. And he was spitting and he was spluttering, but he was smiling because he'd made it. And I think what's happening today, when we pray prayers, I often say, be careful what you pray because you might just get it. And when we pray prayers, God, I just want you, nothing else will do. We sing it sometimes, don't we? Only you, God. You're all I need. Remember our worship guys that come up and we'll sing a song as we finish. I'd love us just to respond in our hearts today. But um, when we pray, God, we want it. We want this deep sense of you. God, we want this consecration. We want this, this circumcision of heart, God. We're desperate for it. He might have to help you get it. And he might have to do what I did with little Daniel. He might have to push you into deep waters to get it. But I tell you, you might come up spluttering, but you'll come up good. And you'll come up full of his presence. And that's what I sense God's doing at the moment. So, I've said enough. I've more, but we'll hold it for next week. Let's say, uh, let's just still our hearts and ask God to come and um, holiness is so misunderstood today. Some people think to be holy means to be a geek, that you um, not relevant to the world and, and uh, you live in some other society or some other plane. That's not what holiness is. Holiness is just a walk with God that it becomes something that um, those of you who have experienced deep pain in your life will know this. There's a place that deep pain takes you that nothing else seems to take you there. And I remember after Jill died, I remember the relationship with God was so I sometimes say to God, God, I'd, I'd love that closeness back, but I just could have it without the pain. 
and I'm not sure you can get it without pain. But I remember it pulled me into a place where he was just there. I would talk to him about what I was watching on TV. I would talk to him about what I was going to eat. I would talk to him about where I was going to walk and what I was going to say. I'd just talk to him about everything. And he was just there. And that's, I think, the season that God's pulling us into. us into a fresh intimacy with the Father. And I have loved this word all my life. But about six months ago, I, I began to realize that loved the word so much that I allowed my head to expand and my soul to shrink. I began to realize that my relationship with God wasn't what I used to have. And even though I'm doing my devotions, I'm studying the Bible every day of the week and just felt like felt like it was a one-way ticket really and there was no time for him to speak into my soul. So of late I've been trying to correct that and park in the Bible some days and just saying, okay, God, it's you and me. What do you want to say? What do you want to do? What's the next step for me? So God, come as we worship. this out but if you are watching online or you're in here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this is your moment Jesus is coming back and he's coming back pretty soon and if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior all you've got to do is invite him into your life just repent of your sin that's what the Bible says repent and believe that was the message of John the Baptist the message of Jesus Jesus I'm sorry for my sin I repent of them I turn to you. I invite you into my life as my Lord and Savior. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, would you come and talk to me afterwards? Or fire us a little email if you're watching online because we'd love to help you. We need to get through this basket of names because there's thousands more out there. So let's worship and then I'll come back and close us off. Let's worship together. Let's stand and sing this as a prayer. We're singing holy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.